Let's start with prayer, shall we? Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for uh, our brothers and sisters who are uh, in the room with us tonight. We pray that your spirit would would be at work uh, through the word, that our conversations, our questions would be edifying to one another, and that it would all be glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, hope you didn't get enough of deacons, because it's deacons round two tonight. So back to 1 Timothy, no surprise there. 1 Timothy 3, our, I'll call it kind of our launching text, is uh, going to be 1 Timothy 3, same verses, 8 through 13. Um, that'll be our, our kind of our anchor. We'll go to a couple other, mostly one other primary text, because uh, tonight we're going to try and dive a little bit deeper into the on-the-ground functional reality of deacons, the office of deacons, the ministry of deacons, what that looks like, having set up a good foundation of who they are, what they are, uh, what the Scripture has to say about that. Now we're going to try and, and pull, it, pull it to the ground a little bit more. Um, so we'll start. I'll read First uh, Timothy 3, 8-13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I think one of the really helpful distinctions for me that we, we, we kind of hashed out last week was like we've talked about previously with the kind of that fun distinction between teaching and teaching, right? Like teaching and preaching and authoritative pastoral preaching. And then what the New Testament also just using that same word teaching where all Christians at various times in their lives are going to be exhorted to teach. We saw something kind of similar at play with this term deacon, right? So there's deacons and there's deacons. It's the same word in the Greek, and so we see it used sporadically throughout the New Testament. But sometimes, and oftentimes, depending on your translation, the word will just be translated as servant or minister. And so we see that applied to Christians at large. We see it specifically applied to the government. Right? And again, oftentimes the English translation will say, you know, the government being a, a minister or a servant, it's that same, it comes from that same Greek diakonos word um, that then we also translate as deacon. And then often when you see it in that form, it is the translators are saying, okay, this is referring to that office of deacon, which carries with it then a, a set of uh, qualifications. We kind of distill certain responsibilities. So, that's a primary and fundamental understanding of, of kind of what this office is, who holds that. We, we talked about it last week, and, and hopefully then it's becoming uh, more clear, if, if not already, that this office of deacon and those specifically appointed to the role of deacon share something in common with elders and eldership in that, and I'm going to read this, I wrote it, I, I wouldn't call it a definition, but I think it's, it's a, a good description for this office of deacon, um, and it's the office of deacon is a unique 
God-given role in the church, complete with its own list of qualifications and then correlative responsibilities given for the edification of the body. So that's me, like I said, trying to give more of a description without just landing on a one word, this. Um, but with that description, that puts it in a category uniquely with elders. So here we have these two unique God-given roles with their own list of qualifications given for the edification of the body. That's the structure that God has given according to his word for his church and how it's to, to function in this way. If you, and I think you should, be desiring for textual grounds for that, and again, Z, Z highlighted a lot of this, but I think it is so important to rehearse it one more time, right? That, that, that word in verse 8, which is transitioning, but yet also connecting, the, the first section there in chapter 3, now with the part about deacon, likewise, right? So God is referring to this office of deacon in that way. He is connecting it in a lot of senses with the office of eldership, setting it in a kind of unique category of, of unique service, right, with, with a particular responsibility. Um, so it, hopefully we're, we're seeing, okay, this is elders, deacons, uh, these are unique roles given for service in the church. And so in that way, they are distinguished from the very true sense in which every Christian ought to be serving in the church, right? So in, in that way, we're all servants. We're all ministers. We're all called to minister to one another. But yet we see that difference. And so deacons and elders, unique God-given roles uh, for these purposes. One of the, uh, the key texts, and you can go ahead and turn there. It'll be a few minutes before we read it, but, but go ahead and go to uh, Acts chapter 6. We're, we're going to spend some time uh, in there. You know what? Let's just go ahead and read it now. Let's just go ahead and read it. I'll read uh, just the first seven verses of chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as we read that, you'll notice uh, no word deacon. <laughs> so deacon didn't, didn't make it into our English translation. However, I will draw your attention in verse 2, and this just tying into what we've already said at the end, right, when he says, we, will, we should not give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's that same, coming from that same root, diakonos. So, right, the, 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 the particular office isn't, we don't translate it that way, but we see that that is what's happening. And, and so this, this text of, of Acts 6, while it certainly does not give us, uh, this is not intended to be 
you know, this isn't an epistle. This isn't um, the instructions for, all right, create your deacon office, and, and it's, it's Acts 6. That's where you get all the do this, 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 this. But it is an example of this happening in the early church as we see that it's growing, people are coming to the faith. It's, it's in fact, the, the creation, the appointment of these men to service was because there was growth, which is a wonderful thing. Right? You have this small, fledgling church that now, as the Word of God goes out, people are coming to faith. And so the numbers are growing. And that's creating problems, if you will. It's creating opportunities and needs to be met. And so it's in that context that now this, 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 these men are appointed to this position. And so I, I do think it's, it's super important that we realize then the difference here between deacons and elders, between deacons and, and, and everyone else who's a member of the body of Christ, certainly has, and manifestly, has nothing to do with value, right? Like elders are no more valuable than non-elders. Deacons are no more valuable than elders, vice versa. It, it's never a question of value, and, and we see that in other conversations in the Christian faith that sometimes people have questions and are, oh, are you saying, since I can't do this, does that make me less valuable? No. In almost every case, if not every case, these are distinctions that are being drawn out by particular roles, God-assigned roles, responsibilities that are not better or more important, but simply assigned and assigned by God, no less. We'll see that, I think, even more so if we do back up just a bit. I'll take you back one chapter in Acts 5, right? Um, the phrase, sometimes, at least it had hit me when, when I read, you know, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. That almost sounds like this very demeaning, okay, whatever they're about to do was clearly less important <laughs> than preaching the word, right? But again, that wouldn't fit. I think when we have this right understanding, it's not a question of value. This is a question of function. So what's going on there? I find the context helpful. Um, I'll read two verses uh, in the 20s, and then we'll jump into the 40s. But Acts 5, start in verse 27. So this is the immediate context surrounding the events of 6 and the appointment of these deacons. 5.27 says, And when they had brought them, this was the, the Jewish leaders brought the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. He goes on, there's a longer conversation with the council, uh, but now go ahead and jump to verse 40. At the end of this extended conversation and dialogue, and when they had called in, that's the council once again, calls the apostles back in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now at this point, you... You know, the idea of serving tables sounds kind of nice because apparently preaching the word, the ministry of the word, was having these people flogged and beaten. So that, that, that's an interesting note right there. And so then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So again, I, I, we have a, an inordinate and, and sometimes almost idolatrous view of preachers. We see, oh, they, they're, they're the cool, charismatic folk who get to stand up and, and do this. It, I mean, and 
there's many reasons, many things that are wrong with that. One of them being the product of our comfortable situation. Nobody's getting flogged and beaten and, and, and threatened to death for the ministry of the word. That was happening here. So I, right there, we, just, we often come, I think, to these questions and these conversations about elders and deacons and who's doing what with, with a latent sense of that one is better, uh, that this is a matter of, of significance and importance, um, when it, it certainly, it is not, it never has been, and in fact, it has all to do with glorifying God and serving the church, right? And so, so, so here you have the, the ministry of the word is happening, and the spirit is working with such success that the numbers are growing, that now there's organizational needs that are cropping up, and there's people who, who are, are slipping through the cracks, and so they're, they're noting, they're saying, we need more help and of a different variety. We have new responsibilities that are presenting themselves. And so now we see that through the work of the Holy Spirit, it results in the appointment of these men who themselves filled with the Spirit and wisdom to now serve uh, in, in this way. If we recall back in the First Timothy passage, some of, those, some of those qualifications, right? It says they're to be, the deacons are to be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And we bring that to our, our narrative from Acts 6 here, and we think, okay, who, who, who was the particular group in this passage that was needing help? It was these widows who were being overlooked. And we just, this is kind of, you know, this is hermeneutics, right? But, okay, we start thinking widows, widows. How does Scripture speak about widows typically all throughout? Well, frequently we find them to be um, taken advantage of by sinful men. We also see them all, always treated with great care by God. He, he draws attention. We have stories in the Old Testament, stories in the New Testament, exhortations in the New Testament, care for the widows, for the orphans, for these people who are in these unique places of dependency on others, ripe for being taken advantage of. In fact, this is the other passage I do want everyone to turn to, uh, Mark 12, 38 to 44. And this uh, will include a passage that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, but I think if you're like myself, uh, may have misunderstood frequently, um, maybe, maybe to this very day, I don't know, we'll find out. But uh, 38 through 44 of chapter 12 in Mark. And in his teaching, he said, this is Jesus, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So without going into a whole uh, lesson on, on the widow's offering here, 
often we, we hear that as this sort of exhortation to, to giving and to give, and certainly that's a right exhortation. My, my question is that, is that the meaning and intention of the text here? And I think when we look at the context, we discover that it isn't, and we find something, and you're thinking, how in the world does this connect to the deacons? We find something incredibly relevant to the deacons. They're to be the exact opposite of what many of the religious leaders at the time were, which is, what were they doing? What was one of the, the very image-filled and yet potent phrases that Jesus, they devour widows' houses. That's what these hypocritical religious leaders did. That's how they conducted themselves. Why? Because they were not dignified. They were double-tongued, right? They were greedy for dishonest gain, and so they devoured these widows' houses. And, and there's the context for this story of the widow's offering, and here we see it happening. This widow's being devoured. She's just, she's just now, by the, by the pressure of this hypocritical false system, she's now been forced, essentially, I guess I got to give these last two. That, if, that's, if that's what I've got, you're telling me I just got to give it up. And again, we could go into a, a long teaching on that, but, but the context is powerful there, and I think incredibly relevant to giving us via the opposite, a great exhortation to what deacons are then to be, right? And it is. It is the exact opposite of that. These are to be dignified, not double-tongued, not greedy for dishonest gain. And suddenly we also start to see, okay, these qualifications are important because we're going to be sending these men into the spaces where they could take advantage of people because this is going to be those who are in great dependency and in great need. And these are going to be men who are going to be meeting needs. And who knows what kind of temptation might come up, right? So, again, the, the qualifications start becoming less just, my gosh, why is he being so strict with all these qualifications? This is, once again, not surprisingly, coming from God's heart and care for his people to protect them. Um, and it would have been a sharp contrast, especially uh, in, in such a time in a context uh, as this. I do think uh, also and you don't need to turn to it, but, you know, in Matthew, in Matthew 6, and, and the whole do not be anxious, uh, Jesus talking about, you know, do not be anxious, right? we see here that God's institution and provision of deacons for his, tr- for his church, it points us to, to lots of things, but I think it points us very uh, powerfully to his compassionate and tender heart for his people, to care for them, to meet their needs. And so then I do, I hear the words of Christ in this context in a, in, a, in a really wonderful way, right? Matthew 6, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so when we look at, when we look at this this office of deacons, when we start to, to see how it springs forth, how, it's, how it sprang forth in the early church, and I think how to this day those principles carry forward, and, and as churches grow by God's grace, and they, they find themselves experiencing growing pains, if you will, they hear God answers prayer. I mean, they're, they're praying, there's the ministry of the Word, they're praying, suddenly things are happening, and He answers prayer, and how does He answer prayer? And the good gift of His people and the good gift of servants to meet those needs. And so it's a, it's a, it's the classic, ah, yeah, God is a, he's a God of ends and means to those ends. And we pray, we pray for the things we need. He knows we need them and he gives them. And, and I, I'm reminded, I, I read in, uh, 
uh, one of the Spurgeon Daily Devotional, he, he talks about just how sweet answered prayers are when we pray for them. You know, it's one thing when God gives a good gift and we go, wow, thanks, that was incredible. But there's an added level of specificity to our thankfulness when, you know, two days ago you pray and then today now you're able to see the the reality of God answering that prayer. It would have been great even if you hadn't, but since you did, it now lets your thanksgiving be so much greater. And, uh, and that's certainly um, applicable to this, to see that when, when a, a local church has a need and they, and, they, and they ask God for help and the answer is, well, then I'll send a servant. I'll send, I'll send somebody who's qualified and, and you'll pray for it. It's, it's very powerful, uh, very, very powerful. Uh, so I, I'll wrap up then just with uh, that illustration. I kind of alluded to it. I, I think the growing pains one is a good illustration for this, uh, right? It, it's a good thing when a young child is growing and, and, and there's some pain associated with that, right? And the kid might not like it, but his parents maybe smile and, and say, hey, no, this is good. It's a sign that he's growing. It's a sign that he's being fed, that he's got nutrition. If he wasn't growing, this would be awful. We'd be very sad about that, but we see that he is growing, so this is wonderful, this is good. Um, similar with the church, uh, not that it would lead us to uh, arbitrarily start, oh, oh, uh, you know, deacons, that's a cool thing, we should have those. Well, no, that would be, that would be a prideful approach. Um, so it's not that, but yet we can rejoice when we see the ministry of the Word have its effect, when the Spirit takes a hold of people, brings them into the church, and with that, we now have new and greater and more opportunity to serve in unique ways and then to see that God uh, answer those prayers and to keep his promise and, uh, and truly, yeah, we'll have all of our, our needs met in Christ. So that's what I got for you tonight. Let's pray, and then if you have questions, we can do some of those and then discussion. Father, thank you again. We trust that your Spirit working through your word will indeed uh, have his effect. Uh, we ask that even now, as we continue with discussion amongst each other, uh, that our words would be truthful, uh, that we would go the, uh, give the extra effort to anchor our answers and our thoughts to your word, and we ask for your wisdom. Uh, it must come from you if it's to be of any benefit. And so bless this time. Thank you for uh, these, this sweet fellowship and pray that that would uh, also uh, be fun and fruitful afterwards. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.